0: now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture now is the time to dare great things and here is your host as we dare great things father nathan cromley the president and founder of the saint john institute
1: in this final episode of my class on sol book rules for radicals i give an overview of his thought and describe why I think his thought is so dangerous and at the same time so appealing. His vision for organizers represents a vision many people share about leadership, but I think it's also an opportunity for us who follow Christ to understand better what the world is really longing for from our leadership. So we've come to the end of our class here. We've uh, gone through a lot of Chapters in his book Rules for Radicals. We actually looked at them all and I'm gonna finish with his last chapter which is uh, chapter 9 called The Way Ahead and This book again is so important because when you're talking about Alinsky or reading Alinsky You're not reading anybody who hasn't thought these things through. I mean, this this is a man who's very well read very intelligent very blunt very forthcoming and who represents a strength that's effective. You can't deny the effectiveness of his work. Or, and, that, and, and that is his appeal. Remember, uh, religious people from great, of great devotion and religious sentiments would turn to Alinsky to ask for advice on how they could help the urban poor. And his thought is situated very squarely in a real need. How do we help those who do not have power to gain power? His work is not an effort to subvert the present system. It's an effort to work within that system in a way that's extremely effective and powerful. And, And as such, he represents someone who needs to be discussed and understood by anybody who's involved on the social scene today. Our job at the St. John Institute is to form leaders who will lead their world. And that means leaders who engage the present culture and actively try to transform it in the light of the gospel. Okay, so that type of person, you all who are here, you need to therefore really understand how effective he is and why he's so effective. I want to wrap up our class by underscoring a few of those methods because I believe that the same reasons why he's effective are the doorways where people are looking for Jesus. And it's very similar to what Fulton Sheen told us. He said that whatever the church casts away or or leaves off, the world picks up. And I believe that the church has very much left off or neglected her teaching on authentic leadership as something dynamic, as something powerful, as something that can truly transform the society and help those who are poor, for example, or disenfranchised to find what they need and to be empowered. And, but the church has the answer to that. And and, and I want to bring you into that because you are leaders who are called to follow in the light of the gospel and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, not Saul Alinsky. Okay. So Saul Alinsky's teaching is very interesting but it di- diverges from the cross of Christ on several key points and we are called to be intelligent about it to understand it but to also go on in our own direction because that's who we are as leaders but i can't underscore enough that he represents a real knowledge of how this world works how american society in its contemporary format works and in many ways, I wonder how much his thought actually went to shape that society. Because when you watch it happen today, you're watching at work the very same dynamic that he lays down there. And therefore, it's important to understand it. It's just important not to imitate it. We have something better than Saul Alinsky's teaching on leadership. Okay, so in his, his last chapter, he's going to, you know, just briefly, he talks a lot about the way ahead. And he reminds me of a snake in the grass in many ways, because he says, listen, if we want to change things in America, the next class that's going to be changed is the middle class. And he points out that 75% of Americans identify themselves as belonging to the middle class. Most of this middle class being white, right? So he, he just says that that's where the action is going to take. Now, remember he wrote this in 1971, well, we understand that actually what he wrote here has come to pass in the past 50 years. But he, 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 he says, for example, how do you approach that middle class? Well, number one, you need to belong to it to understand it, to understand how it speaks, how it thinks, how it operates, the words that it uses, so that then you can use those words against them. And he says, you know, we need to approach this middle class by looking at what their needs are. And in an effort to radicalize them, I mean, a radicalized middle class who could think of such a thing back in 1971, that must've seen almost seemed impossible, but we've seen in our present age, several examples of the middle class becoming radicalized, meaning being able to be united around a singular issue and a target in order to organize change right? That's the radicalization of the middle class. And he uses the same approach he would use for anywhere else. Look at where there's disgruntlement. Look at where there's disappointment. Look at where there's bitterness. There, he, as he says in a, a kind of a poetic moment here, he actually says, the job for today's radical is to fan the embers of hopelessness into a flame of fight, right? To say, you cannot cop out as many have of my generation. You cannot turn away. Look at it. Let us change it together. Almost befriending the middle class in order to get the middle class to get what exactly what it wants, stability and meaning. For him, in, in the very end, last page of his book, he actually writes this. The human cry of the second revolution is one for a meaning, a purpose for life a cause to live for and, if need be, to die for. This is literally the revolution of the soul. And he finishes by saying, when Americans can no longer see the stars, the times are tragic. We must believe that it is the darkness before the dawn of a beautiful new world. We will see it when we believe it. And he finishes his book. Okay, so as he finishes, it leaves me with some key questions that I want to ask you to ponder on. First of all, did you notice that his next step, the way forward for his next radicalization is the same people that he's been fighting against in order to help the poor? So he's saying the poor are being oppressed by the middle class. And so, and that's a terrible thing, fighting against middle class. Now he turns to middle class and says, who's oppressing them? Let's fight for them. It's very, very indicative of his, his frame of thought. He's not concerned so much with principles. He's concerned with how you empower people to get what they want. But he leaves the world polarized. Just as the poor fought against the middle class, now he's going to get the middle class to fight against someone else. His whole theory is that action causes reaction. And that in the action and reaction going back and forth, you generate the goal that you're seeking. Is he right though? My question for you to consider is, is he right? 50 years after he wrote this book, are we better off? Have the urban poor been being, having been organized by him, has their plight been alleviated? And not only has it been alleviated, but you could even ask, is it, were they better off before? I don't know what I'm not trying to say, but I'm asking the question, we need to judge that. We need to be able to take a look at his work because he's claiming earthly effectiveness and ask how effective has he actually been? And has his thought not produced on the contrary, the opposite effect from what he intended?
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to EagleEyeMinistries.org, that's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E-Ministries.org, and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: So really when I compare his leadership to the leadership that we're supposed to follow from Jesus Christ, I I find a couple salient points that I want to bring out. Number one, and I say this in, in general and not just focusing on chapter nine, but in general, He begins with the premise that you cannot start with the world as you want it, but the world as it is. And it sounds very dramatic because it sounds very pragmatic. And therefore, he rules out any kind of idealistic principle or any kind of idealistic goal. And he says you have to adopt the tactics of the world if you're going to make the world change. But this seems to be effective. This seems to be the way to go forward. But in the end, if you adopt the tactics of the enemy, don't you become the enemy? Very akin to the story of the, uh, the hero at the end of the story who has to, in fact, kill the person who killed his father. Well, if you have to kill the person who killed your father, you become a killer just like the person who killed your father. And so by killing him, you actually adopt the same, the same spirit. And this is exactly what happens with Alinsky's ways. Can we really lead the world well if we stay within its parameters doesn 't the world need something beyond its logic and isn 't this the place of the christian leader isn 't this exactly what we 're called to do to take people not just for this world in the endless cycle of action and reaction and the endless cycle of taking and and, and having it taken away and it's like that old adage, the poor get poorer until they revolt, the rich get richer until they collapse and they switch places and start all over again. It's like the entire history of western civilization in 26 words. I just wonder if there's not something more compelling. When I think of my my Christian faith, I see a faith that actually begins from a world that is better and better off. A vision from heaven. And the vision of salvation and redemption. I don't come into this world, in other words, just to say I'm here to play in the sandbox and to move the sand according to my shapes for a change. I've got a much loftier ambition. And that is to take the folks out of that sandbox to be where they ought to be in the place where things matter and matter deeply. And we come at the world, in other words, from the position of those who believe and who know a higher truth, that God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that he sent his only begotten Son to die for us so that we not remain in sin, but that we form a new way of living built not upon human jealousies and power dynamics, but built upon charity. And we come to bring that world Effectively into this one. That's where we collide with the little street warriors like Saul Alinsky, who are out there saying, well, this is the laws. If you want to make that effective in your, this world, then you need to obey these laws. We ought to listen to him. He's, he's right to a degree, but he's also limited because he's coming at it from the wrong perspective. He ends up polarizing the society he's trying to unite in order to unite it. I mean, am I the only one to see this as a grave contradiction? And then he wants to take things away from a certain population, give them to another, which then empowers that population to be the ones that have. And then he goes to the opposite side from whom he had taken things away to say, now you need to go and take them back. This again, seems like a circle that is vicious and vain. I don't understand what his ultimate goal is when he himself says he can never really achieve his ultimate goal. So what is, what is the place of an ideal that you can never achieve? We Christians on the contrary believe that the ideal that motivates our actions for justice is achievable and actually in fact has been already achieved in Jesus Christ. Our role as Christian leaders is to actually bring that power fully to bear, not by the weight of our own prudence or by the keenness of our own judgment, but by relying upon God and his grace and his divine power to operate through us. God, in other words, is the protagonist of history and we are his instruments. And that the course of history is one of salvation and redemption bringing people from a way of sin into a way of salvation. Now I can already hear, you know, Alinsky chuckling again, saying, listen, but that's not even the world as it really is. You're living in a pipe dream. And I'd like to say, if you knew Jesus Christ, you wouldn't call it a pipe dream. Because in fact, our worldview is not anchored on a lofty ideal that is not connected to reality. It's anchored in the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us upon the cross. We just have to become more real in our faith. We who are to lead this world in the name of Jesus Christ and bring this world back to him need to be more real, more concrete, about the hope that is within us. I think, in other words, that where Alinsky thrives is exactly those spaces where we Catholics have not proclaimed the gospel with enough vigor. It's only because we have not been accurate enough or pointed enough to alleviate justice and to help groups to see that their their lot in life needs to be bettered at the material level as a witness to something even deeper called the liberation from sin and our life with God forever that begins in our hearts. Now it's only because we haven't done that enough that a fellow like Alinsky can waltz in and win the day by convincing people to live for the betterment of this world only. And and that's exactly what they do. They don't, he doesn't encourage prayer. He doesn't encourage, he's not living at that level. In all fairness, he never even tries. And I think that that's very fair of him. He, he stays where he says he wants to be, at the practical level of political power exchange. Well, fine, Saul, you can go ahead and do that. But don't tell me that that's the way that we need to lead to be effective. Because there's no one more effective in this world than the one who brings a truth that is more powerful than anything in this world to bear in influencing it. It's called a saint. At the St. John Institute, we're doing these classes with you because we're here to raise up saints to lead. What would happen if a man of God, a man of Jesus Christ, who authentically based himself on the hope that comes from the gospel, what would happen if he found himself in a place of power? Couldn't he be do a world of good for people to bring them to be authentic justice? I kind of wonder if Solinsky sells himself short here because in the end with his thought, I don't know if he really has a notion of justice that is more than an arbitrary whim as a measure of the exchange of power. I wonder if in fact he, his definition of justice is less than people deserve. Because when the Christian church speaks about justice, we speak about the person having the full capacity, the full range of their power being granted to them. That is, first of all, the range of power and the depth of their soul to know God, to know truth, to be free in their personal acts. That's the first place that we posit our weight and where we try to make our influence is to liberate the spirit. Now, I agreed. Maybe we haven't done a good enough job of taking care of the body, of voting rights, of working wages, of job opportunities, of housing. And there, I think we stand justly convicted by thinkers like Joselinski who would say he's trying to do what he does precisely because Christians haven't done their role. But at the same time, to forsake for as much the needs of the spirit to breathe free for God leaves actually room for us to shine. Now that the pendulum has switched, and in fact the worldview is dominated by those like Solvinsky, I see a Christian moment. I see an opportunity for us to bring the fullness of the gospel now to bear, to show that actually all that that thirst that he mentions there is actually found even more perfectly and even more perfectly fulfilled In Jesus, and in the message of the church, to put it bluntly, I think that we now can fill with Christ the vacuum that his thought leaves behind. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute,
0: the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at
1: stjohninstitute.org.
0: Dare great things for Christ.
1: So, you know, we've been studying his thought now for a long time. We've read through the entire book here, Rules of Radicals. Congratulations, by the way. I think it's really important to to know the thinkers that are out there and not just hear about them commented on by other people, even if they're from the right, for example, or or hear him misaligned or misunderstood by other people. Now you've read him. But what do we do with this? I think that there's a, a moment where we Christians can actually step into a void and step into an open space that his thinking and the world's thinking leaves for us. They, it's almost as if the world, by denying Christ, only proves how much it's crying out for him. Here's what I mean. In, that, in, in the thought of Saul Alinsky, you see many dynamics, many, many ways to frame things, and they're very good, but he leaves out a really key point. For example, what is the end goal, and can we actually make it happen in our world? For him, the end goal is a vague definition of human liberty, the respect for the individual. He says a free and open society. And I'd really like to challenge him on those points because I think that they are vague. They, they lack the convincing power. Where his energy picks up in the book is really clearly when he starts talking about the process that he employs and the tactics and the actions and the reactions and the thrill of the fight. Well, that's fine. But a leader needs to have a vision. What are we moving the people towards? Well, he defines his efforts as bringing people into power and defines power as the ability to act. And it reminds me of that definition of freedom that a lot of us have in our minds. We say, you know what freedom is? It's the ability to do what you want. And I I think a lot of Pope John Paul II, because when he would look at that statement, is freedom the ability to do what you want? He would always respond, no. No, that's actually not freedom. Freedom is not the ability to do what you want. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought. In other words, Pope John Paul II says, freedom is not in a vacuum. it just as power is not in a vacuum just to say you know i i'm i'm here to give people power is actually not enough we, we can't just give people power because power itself is in reference to something else power that i have the power to act begs the question for what good what is the purpose of my action that will show me the purpose of my power and then that means that Power is not in itself a goal, but only power insofar as it achieves its correct purpose. And and obviously from a secular worldview, it's hard to give a purpose to power. You want to say instead that having power is itself good and is good in itself. And I would say that's actually short-sighted. Power in itself is not the goal. Power in order to move to personal fulfillment, that is the goal. And for Saul Alinsky, he identifies that personal fulfillment almost always in a very materialistic sense that you have a clean house, that you have clean water, that you have good food, that you have the, the pleasures of life, the freedom to have a little garden in the backyard. And, and obviously all that is true. I don't think that that's, a, that's not... It's just that there's something a lot more fundamental and a lot more important. And our Christian faith gives us that importance and unleashes something else by saying all power is for the sake of authentic human flourishing. And we as leaders, therefore, cannot simply therefore aim at power and make that our sole objective. We need to aim at a power that liberates the person for what is authentically good for their flourishing. And this means there are certain kinds of power that are not good for a person. You can actually have too much materiality, too much material comfort. You could actually lose the deeper good of the knowledge of God and his saving grace. If you actually live a life outside of the cross. And we think, you know, is it, is it free for a person to kill themselves by euthanasia in order to avoid pain? Answer from Christianity, no why because your suffering has infinite value when attached to that of jesus christ and your suffering has a purpose and a meaning so Alinsky defines the search for purpose and meaning for our young people today saying that you know it's really all about them finding a cause worth fighting in it's, it's worth it's about them finding the uh, coherency in action and i just want to look at him and say i appreciate your zeal mr olinsky and i appreciate your intelligence but I wish you wouldn't sh- sell us so short. Our young people need something a lot more profound than that. They deserve something more profound than that. And we who are Christian leaders. We're not just going to focus on getting empowering the next generation in order so that they can continue the same mistake as the generation before. We need to have a higher scope, my friends. We need to be able to be focused in on why we're giving them power and make sure that their usage of power and possession thereof align with that lofty principle and goal. What is that lofty principle and goal? The knowledge of God. And here, sometimes God allows us, I would even say often, to experience the cross and the discrimination and the disempowerment that he himself knew in Jesus Christ and in his sacred humanity when he was put to death on a cross by an oppressive regime and yet used that very death to enact the greatest freedom of the world. He saved those who put him to death. He healed those who caused him to be wounded. He was a light that shone in the darkness in order to illuminate it. And here he represents an answer that is greater than social upheaval or radicalization and any of the impact that it could make. He points us to a direction of authentic goodness, the ultimate end of all things. And he fulfills it. We are called to lead like that, my friends. We're called to embody his divine message and to bring that fulfillment to our world without ignoring or running away from the real plights of of the physicality that people endure. Instead, fighting for that, but uniting it to a bigger fight that our souls breathe free in God and never let Him go.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.